ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 119. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host today, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Today, we are talking about a culture of failure, and the story of Elizabeth Holmes. We are super enthralled by this podcast that we both binge listened to in the last week or so called The Dropout, which tells the story of startup tycoon Elizabeth Holmes and her fall from grace. And she is someone that both of us have been following for years and years. And she's someone that I personally looked up to as a hero when I was starting Namastream, our company. And I just, I feel like we owe it to her and to women in tech and women entrepreneurs to have this conversation that you and I have been having privately, Sandy, about her story, just because I think we have a little bit of a different take than a lot of people have on it. And this might be a controversial one, but it's a story everyone should know. And I think this is a conversation we should be having as a culture and as entrepreneurs. Absolutely. It is a fascinating tale. We often said that there should be a movie about this story, and I think there is one in the works. And yeah, let's start by first telling the story, why we're so worked up about it, and then we can move into what we think about it. Yeah. So there is a serialized podcast called The Dropout about this woman, Elizabeth Holmes, and it's six episodes long. And if you're really interested in crime or business or startups or just feminism, I would recommend listening to it from start to finish. All the episodes are out now. It's incredible. It's really done well. I think it's the people who put out Nightline. Journalists, professional journalists are sort of responsible for this story. But essentially, Elizabeth Holmes was the youngest female self-made billionaire in history. She started Theranos, which was a blood testing tech, med tech startup. She started it when she was 19 years old. And you walk through that whole story in this this podcast we're referencing. But she had a major fall from grace. It, it turned out that she was giving the device she had created more credit than it was due. It sort of wasn't able to do all of the things she said it was able to do. It was supposedly able to do over 200 blood tests, diagnostic blood tests with a drop of blood. That's not, as far as everyone knows, scientifically possible, as, as far as most people believe. And But she had a whole bunch of people really convinced. And she had she had cultivated this very high-powered board of directors, a lot of people really high-ranking in the Republican Party and in the kind of defense and military 
subculture and she had a very much taken engineers and scientists away from companies like Apple and and wooed them into her startup. And she was this young, beautiful, very compelling female driven, driven, driven female entrepreneur who defied sort of all odds to build this company. And what did she raise? Like seven hundred million oh, dollars, <laughs> millions and millions so, and millions. Of I mean, just just huge amounts of money were on the table, and ultimately, it turned out that it was sort of all a fraud. At least that's what that's what the dominant culture wants us to believe. And so, you know, Sandy, you and I have been having this conversation because I literally would like tear pictures of her out of magazines. Like <laughs> if I had been a little younger, I would have put them up on the wall, you know, just sort of I would have put, put her on my vision board and really admired her. And in the course of listening to this podcast, I just started to admire her even more, even though she's accused of doing really, really bad things. She's now awaiting a criminal trial for sort of her leadership and kind of what happened over the course of the closing of her company. And yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I feel like Sandy, we should we should sort of explain why we both feel conflicted well, I about think, this. I think when we first discovered her was when, you know, she's just starting up and she was like you say, the poster child of like startups and tech founders and so for on. Women, and then she was for a, women. And 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 yeah. then she was a woman. And it was like, oh my God, what is this woman doing? The vision that she has the gumption that she has, the money that she's raised, the people that she's attracted. And she was on the cover of Inc. magazine. And you and I both bought that magazine and read it cover to cover. And it was like, look at that. This is amazing. So at that point, we were just in the beginning of Namastream, right? So it was really exciting to have a role model of a woman that was that was playing at this level in this in this tech world. And then she kind of fell from grace. And I remember, I don't think you listened to this, but there was a podcast, oh, I was so angry, called Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. It's by Vanity Fair. And they this Nick Bilton interviewed John Carreyou, who wrote the book Bad Blood about Elizabeth Holmes. So he interviewed the author because he's he really kind of broke the story and brought it all to light, what was going on, and that what she was promising wasn't actually possible or certainly not happening. And these two men, this is where my anger started. Like, of course, you're disappointed in Elizabeth Holmes and on so many levels. But my anger started in the treatment of her, the way these two gentlemen spoke about her, as she was the most despicable, vile person on the face of the earth. And I just was like, but there are so many men that have done similar, if not worse things. And yes, it's shitty. We don't acknowledge or, you know, we don't condone that kind of behavior, of course. However, the way that they talk about her and the way that they treat her, it would not have been the same as a as a man. It's like a witch trial. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like a witch trial. And I think that the part of this is the fact that women are not allowed to fail, like men are allowed to fail and women are not allowed to fail. And I I just, I believe that. I've seen that observed. Women hold themselves to higher standards, but we also as a culture hold women to higher standards than that. I think that part of the, the complaint around Elizabeth was that, you know, she was lying. 
And I will also just say that that's the culture of the startup world. Not that lying is a good thing, <laughs> not, not, not necessarily lying, but just this idea of kind but of exaggerating. fake it till you sure. make it exaggerate. Like you have to sort of have this unnatural sense of confidence in order to believe that you can build a multi-billion dollar company and or any business really. Like you have to have something, you know, something a little different inside of you. And I, I think that nobody has any right to think rationally that they can build a company like that. There's so much luck. There's so much that you can't understand that's involved that you like if the fact that this woman p- possessed that energy, that gumption, that idea and that confidence that she could do it. And she convinced so many people that it just I think it it freaks the culture out that a young woman could have that kind of power over people. It could have that kind of persuasive ability over people. And yet we see this happen all the time, especially in the startup world with young men. And we don't question it. I mean, look at Facebook, for example. It's not like Mark Zuckerberg lied about, well, maybe, who knows? I don't know. There's, he's not <laughs> being accused of lying about what Facebook could do. But the company has certainly done a lot of things, take, like created tools, created a culture that's problematic in a lot of ways, especially with regard to protecting private data and essentially creating the dominant kind of social media culture that we have right now, right? So are we holding Mark Zuckerberg to the same? If, if Mark Zuckerberg lied and co- did this cover up to the extent that Elizabeth Holmes had done it, I, I don't think it would be any anywhere near the same story. It would just be like, oh, yeah, he exaggerated. That's what you do. Oh, look, it happened again. It happened again. And yet when this young woman that was so believable is is caught in this lie or in this exaggeration, then she's really vilified. And I think people think there's something wrong with her. She's psychotic. I mean, there, there's all this really interesting stuff that comes out in that podcast too, like where we start to learn that her voice changed when she started her company. She somehow had a deeper voice. And that's bizarre to me. But but it's also, you know, she's it's a survival instinct. She's a smart, driven woman. And she realized that to command a room of men, my guess, I mean, I'm guessing here, she changed her voice. She harnessed something inside of her that said, I'm going to speak differently now so that I'm respected and listened to in this room. And I mean, those are the kinds of things that other people aren't really questioning that, right? Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, she's crazy. She changed her voice. And I'm to me, I'm like, that's not crazy. That's smart. That's strategic. It's sad that she has to do that. But good on her for figuring it out and getting, you know, like former secretaries of defense and secretaries of state to hold court with you. Good for you. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, wait, you're right. You know, you're right. right on, young woman. I think we listen to the, all these stories and and there's part of us because we're in this tech space being women and the culture of growth and the pressure to grow is enormous. And so when she, I think she, she was 19 when she dropped out of Stanford and, and she had this idea of disrupting the health industry, changing the way that blood was collected, changing that it wasn't a venous straw, that it was just a pinprick. It was going to change the world and healthcare immensely. So that alone is the vision to have that is like, she didn't know how to do it. Right. But she was, this was what the company was going to figure out. And then so great. You have a great good idea for a company and you and you start down this path and you start raising millions. And then the pressure to continue to grow and to continue to succeed is the culture part that you're talking about that is really terrifying. It would have been like it's understandable how she may had to fudge something to keep face or to to maybe exaggerate to keep doing that extra 10 million so that she could continue to figure this 
idea out. Yeah, right? that's right. So mm-hmm. I think I just I want to make it clear that the the intention from what I know of the story, her intention was never to scam or fraud anyone from the beginning. But she got caught up in a hamster wheel of you know the startup world, right? The and startup the business world. world. And this, yeah. So like, I think that part of that is is on us that she felt that way, right? Yeah. That there wasn't an option just to say, God, this isn't working. There's no way that, that would no, be yeah, okay. There's no way out. And so, well, so I, I want to just say, like, we don't know what she was thinking, but this is what we think she probably, w- what was going, you know, through for her. And th- and that's the, tr- like, we've tasted this, right? With our own company to some extent, there's this pressure to have a product or have a level of growth that's beyond where it currently is. And so there are moments where like, okay, we're just going to have to live in the reality that we're, you know, that we've rebuilt our our app to get out of tech debt, which happened for us, or that, you know, we don't have $300,000 to do something right now, but we know we need to have it. So we're going to operate as if we have that extra $300,000 sitting around and it will have to figure out how to get it. And we do inevitably, like, like, Whenever we put ourselves in a position, like you have to kind of be thinking as if you're three steps ahead or five steps ahead in in the business world, and I, I think th- that it is the culture that drives us to be like that. And it's also for for like just for the people that don't understand the story and the way this played out. She had this idea for this pinprick thing. She ended up selling these little installations to go into Walgreens all over the country, basically so that people could get this pinprick of blood tested. And that supposedly this machine called the Edison was going to be able to read it instantly and give them a reading, tell them all this information related to their health and different levels of whatever in their blood. I don't even know, Sandy, what those things are called. Well, it, w- it was actually testing for like, I don't remember the, the amount of tests was enormous, but it was also like looking for cancer and looking for vitamin B12 dif- deficiency. Yeah, right. It's testing for and deficiencies and, and so many different things. Blood it was cell counts and whatever. Unbelievable. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. So here's the thing. So the technology wasn't ready yet. It could only test, I think, for a couple of things or a dozen things out of 200 that it was supposed to do. So what she ended up doing was having these installations that she had sold to Walgreens or licensed. They ended up getting put into the stores, but they are still doing the old-fashioned Venus blood draws. Is that what it's called? Venus blood draws? Yes, yes. Right. And so... And then what what happened is to get around some kind of FDA thing, they ended up sending, Walgreens would send all the blood samples that were collected traditionally to Theranos, to her company, and they would be tested there. And the issue is, for me, it's like, yeah, that's not the thing you invented and that's not the thing that you sold. That's like the old way, but you're doing that as a stopgap while you're busy in the other room working on the thing that you set out to build because that's the, otherwise you shut down the company and nothing new ever gets built. I think that that's like, that's the piece for me that's so tricky. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know how close they were to the innovation and to developing the tool that Elizabeth ultimately set out to develop. But I do know that I could see a scenario where if you're working on something and it's just not ready yet, you got to fill in with stopgap measures until you get there because that's the only way you get there. Like technology and innovation doesn't happen in a linear predictable way stuff breaks or unexpected things happen 
And I don't think that it's, you know, if you're in a situation where you've sealed a deal with a big company and you have to deliver all these things, you're going to, if you're the CEO, you're going to figure it out. And to me, that's smart, right? And so I think, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like, we're oversimplifying the story a bit. There's other stuff that happened. It's a big company there. Like, we don't really know what went on there. But I can also see the other side of the dominant story that's being told, which is Elizabeth Holmes is a villain. And she should be put in jail basically for the next 20 years because of how she defrauded investors and how she defrauded businesses and how she defrauded her staff. And to me, I'm like, this is just business. Like, why are we not putting every CEO of every company in jail, especially really big, you know, Fortune 50 companies? And look at what they're doing to the world. I mean, look at, and if you dig deep enough in anyone, any big company, you're going to start to find evidence of cover-ups, evidence of stopgap measures. Not to say, again, that we support any of that, but it's just like, why single out this one woman and vilify her to this extent when a lot of this is sort of standard business practice? And again, like we're not there. Some of the stuff that's revealed in this podcast is horrific. And so we don't condone any of that (laughs) horrific behavior. She's portrayed as a bully though. And, you know, I don't know. I just don't totally buy it. I think there's more to the story. And we yeah. don't get to hear from her, right? Because she's, no, that's she's under just investigation. Gonna say that. And she yeah, can't talk. I would love just to have a heart to heart with her. And, I mean, she's, they, they, have, they play recordings of her on the stand doing testimony and deposition and so on. But um, we just don't get it. I just want to have a candid conversation, like hear her story. I'd love to hear her frustrations. And it's, yeah, there is a lot of twists and turns. It is well worth uh listening to that episode or that uh, podcast. And then I would encourage everyone to listen to go, listen to that first and then go listen to Inside the Hive because it's a different slant. And I just- And we'll post that too, anger. links to that yeah, as well. It's, it's good. Yeah. And, and I just want to say like, there are so many situations where storytelling takes place around business and our culture and it's not the whole story. And I do feel like as women- hashtag wolf back. We need to stick up for each other. And it's not to to say that we don't, that we condone, you know, illegal activity or lying or stealing or any of those things at all. Because for those of you that listen to us, you know that we're not like that. But we also want to, I mean, we don't have that many women billionaires. I mean, she was a billionaire. She's not obviously anymore. Company closed down. But I mean, the story of what she was able to do, the support she was able to garner. And there's a a high school friend of her that gets interviewed in this podcast, which I thought was my favorite part of the whole podcast, where she had been listening to this, you know, the first few episodes of the same, the same show, The Dropout. And she called in to the reporter and said, I want to tell, tell you something about Elizabeth. And she said, we used to run track. And Elizabeth was always the last one. And like they would be, people would be leaving the field and Elizabeth would still be running and she would always finish. And it, there's this idea that this woman has some kind of perseverance where other people would have just given up, you know, like they're already clearing the field, everyone's done. And this woman is still out there running and she's determined to finish. And over and over again, like she, this was her story. And I think as if that's you, who you are and who, like what you're about as a young woman, like, <laughs> And then you bring that into the startup space. I can see how that 
you know, that can define you and the decisions that you make. Like, hey, I started this thing and I'm going to finish it. And so maybe I'm going to make some questionable decisions along the way, but it's not out of malice, right? It's, it's, it's irresponsible, but it's not because I'm a bad, evil person trying to defraud someone. It's, it's more like right. I'm and doing that's a what big I can. Distinction. Yeah. And I think that's what they were saying is whether this will, will, like she's being criminally prosecuted and that intent is what makes a difference. They gave the example of Bernie Madoff, who was involved in the Ponzi schemes long ago, and he he intentionally defrauded people, but that is not the case with her. Well, we don't so know. Are we don't to- know. But yeah, we don't, We you and I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't yeah. believe that. And so that's what they're going to have to prove. Yeah. That she knew that these tests were not working, that the equipment could never work, and that she was collecting all this money. And yeah. Well, th- anyway, it's yeah. fascinating. It's so fascinating. And there's another thing I wanted to bring up about it too. Just on the on the flip side, one of the in the last episode, this point is brought up: the fact that Elizabeth, you know, was this hero for so many women. So, like students at Stanford who you know wanted to follow in her footpath, or other women entrepreneurs, or just young girls, they could look at Elizabeth and see this example of what's possible. And isn't that so sad that this is what happened to her? And this what one of the gentlemen being interviewed said, but look at all the there's all these other women that aren't as sort of young and strikingly beautiful as Elizabeth that are doing really remarkable things with companies and technology and healthcare, and they're not getting the same sort of elevation. And so that's another comment on our culture that is is it the o- only the women who are sort of 19 and blonde and thin and you know glamorous are those the only women that deserve this kind of attention for the good work they're doing in the world and isn't that sad and so that's another and, and that's true that's like a really fair a valid concern that there are other women you know it's just that we don't know who they are in a lot of cases and and so what does that mean for us as a culture and how do we find them because I was curating a list of sort of women heroes over history for for an event I'm giving a talk at. And, you know, we've had this conversation before, Sandy, where a lot of my heroes are men. And I've struggled to find heroes and mentors that are women in my career, which is really depressing if you think about it. And even to to put together a, a public presentation about this, like I have to really think. And once I start thinking, I can find lots of great women and quotes and stories to weave into my talk. But, you know, my instinct is to think of the men that I idolize, right? And so, you know, I think one takeaway from this is where can we look around us and our world and our lives and our businesses to find those women that are worthy of raising up to a higher profile so that we have more examples? Because our culture really lacks them compared to how many men are revered and held up as heroes. And this is something that I absolutely struggle with. I remember after starting Namastream, I got interviewed on a panel or I, you know, at some point shortly after Elizabeth's fall from grace when she first started to get really questioned by the Wall Street Journal. And someone asked me who my like female hero in business was or like who I most looked up to in the startup world. And she had always been my default answer. And I really struggled. Like I had to, I don't even remember what I said, but I, I didn't know what to say. Like my one token woman that I always Person, would say yeah. didn't I couldn't say her name anymore because it was scandalous. And so I think and it's not to say we don't admire women. I admire so many women, but it's just we need to do a better job of elevating the work that women are doing, elevating that to the attention of others. Mhm. Agreed. Agreed. I'm going to keep following it. I think it's just 
God, it's fascinating. And this and this podcast is still ongoing, right? I think there's some more episodes to come out. I don't know if they're putting I don't it's know. Done. I think it might be it done. It was every Wednesday, so I don't know. I think it might how be, many I Wednesdays. think it might be done. But we'll see. I think there's nothing until maybe they'll add something after her trial. But I like cyber stock what's going on for her on the internet. I'm always sort of checking in and you know, she lives in the the follow-up to this is she lives in San Francisco with a fiance or boyfriend who's also in the tech space. And he went to MIT and he's like an heir to some sort of hospitality company. So she's, you know, she's not in jail right now. She's out roaming the streets of San Francisco with her husky dog. And she's on Instagram stories. You can find her. And so she's around, but you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens with the trial. I just to me this is one of the most fascinating things going on in the world. Absolutely. Okay, let's move into joy and hustle. Okay, well, the joy is pretty easy for this episode. It's the Dropout podcast. We will of course link to it in the show notes. By ABC News, so it is a very well beautifully produced production. And the hustle is Loom. Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Sandy forgot even though it was her idea this week. <laughs> yes. I've had so many people ask me, what is that tool that you use to do screenshots and talk over it? So it is called Loom, loom.com. It's free. And it is the, if you need to show a client or a student something on your screen, like go here and click here and do this. It is so quick and so perfect. And you can screenshot it. It's easy to use. You give that person a link. They click the link. They don't have to download anything. Bing, bang, bong. They just you get to watch it. It's fabulous. So it is a very handy little tool. Lots of people have been asking me about it. So I thought I'd make it a hustle, even though I forgot. I use it for everything now. Like I basically stop sending written emails or messages. Let me just talk in a video and show you what I mean. Yeah. Sometimes it's so much faster to talk Mm -hmm. than to write it out. And like step one, step two, like this, it just solves. It's very fast for everyone involved. Yeah. Loom is the new text message. Okay, you heard it here (laughs) first, folks. Okay, well, that's a wrap. If you are also following the Elizabeth Holmes saga, you're welcome to pop over into our Facebook group, Soulful MBA, and chat about it there with us. We are eagerly, or if you have gossip, or if you live in San Francisco and you have any stalking photos on your phone that you, that you, yeah, sightings that you want to upload for others to see, we would welcome it or tag us on Instagram so we can see your pictures. We are eagerly following the story. All right, we will see you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. Ding, 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 ding.